0: Hi, and welcome to our episode on the MMA. Dun, 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 dun.
1: This is Wildcat Dojo Conversations.
0: Say hi, Landon. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. And Sensei Jackie. Hi, everybody. Today, our guests are Paul and Lisa. Both of them have been on the show before. Welcome.
1: Hi. Thank you, Sensei. Great to be here.
0: Great to have you. Okay. So, pushing on with our tour of the world of knockout fighting, (laughs) I want to ask everybody, did you miss our episode on kickboxing, also known as Full Contact?
2: And knockout karate is what it's also known as.
3: True, but no matter what you call it, if you miss the episode, I'll go back and listen. It's good. Okay, I'm going to push us on here. As we go to Tackle,
0: The MMA. That's really more a football joke, isn't it, Paul? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The MMA. We're going to start by telling you that at the end of this episode, I have an interview with our friend and black belt, Sensei Sam, because he's been training in an MMA dojo for some months now.
2: That is so cool.
0: So we get an insider's look. Ooh.
2: And Sensei, is this also a good time to let everyone know that they should tell us their MMA experiences, opinions, or even how they like the episode? That would be
0: so cool. Let us know on Twitter or Facebook at Wildcat Dojo or at our webpage, also wildcatdojo.com. Do you really have to add the .com? Could I just you say on
2: our Oh,
3: that's true. Okay. And we're at Dojo Conversations at AOL. And while you're on the web, you can check out our YouTube page. It's also Wildcat Dojo. And there are some interesting things on it. Some cool
2: oh, stuff. I
3: think so.
0: We can be pretty sure that there's, that we're, we are not going to be showing any MMA moves on YouTube. <laughs> Us. Hey, but I might talk Sam into doing it. That, that would, would be neat. Cool. Now, that would be fun, right? That would be. Us. Excitement in the air. It's a teaser, as you like to say, Landon. Us. Okay, back to it. And here's the thing. The story of the MMA is actually a few stories that all come together.
3: Oh, really? First, let's just name off the three stories. Okay. First,
4: there's the story of no-holds-barred fighting. True. And then there's the story of the study of jujitsu.
2: Us. And then there's the story that merges the two together in the 20th century.
4: Okay. We're starting with
0: no-holds-barred fighting. You got me here, Paul?
1: I do, Sensei. Did you know that the first no-holds-barred fighting dates back to a sport called pancreation, which means all the powers? See, Sensei, you know what? I thought it was from the streets of Brooklyn back then, but... It was the Greek uh, Olympics, so... uh, That just
0: goes to one of my most fun, oldest thoughts, where we all think our time we thought of it is the original time that it was ever thought of.
1: Always. Right? And wasn't it, it, Sensei?
4: (laughs) (laughs) How far back was that, Lisa? Yep. It's said in the EliteTrainingCenter.com that it dates back as far as 648 BCE.
3: Wow. That's a long time, too. And a site called Dummies.com agrees. Do you think everyone knows that no holds barred means anything goes? Well, now they know. I know. (laughs) Thanks,
2: dummies.com. That's an interesting uh, URL. Okay, what you got on this one, Landon? Well, Sensei, I read that in ancient Greece, there was no time limit, and the fight only ended when one of the fighters was knocked out or when they tapped out.
1: I mean, isn't that appropriate at the end of the day? It should go to the bitter end. It shouldn't stop. the Being
0: out. a little bit competitive, I'm not sure I'm agreeing that it should go to the bitter end.
1: <laughs> uh, but
0: we, we can fight about that on another podcast. How's that?
1: Oh, uh, sensei.
0: But just in case there's one or two people out there who isn't sure on this, to tap out, means that you tap the ground or possibly your own body or the other guy to tell the referee that you're done with the fight because you're in a hold you can't get out of or you're choking or you're possibly getting ready to have a joint dislocation. Okay, Paul, take this one home for me.
1: Oh, say, As the Greeks fell out of dominance, pancreations stopped and resurfaced in Brazil in the early 20th century.
0: Oh, really? See, I think that's a little teaser because we were saying how they're all going to merge together in the 20th century. They need to hold that thought because we're moving on to
3: jujitsu, which we've talked about in a few podcasts. Have we not? We have. Can I start this one, Sensei? Let's do this. I think that before we get to the 20th century, we should go over a quick history of the journey that jujitsu took to end up in Brazil. That's pretty smart. Well, we got most of this information from the Gracie Brothers website. And these days, jujitsu is synonymous with the Gracie brothers. Right, guys?
2: True. But we corroborated the information on coremma.com. Yes. Okay. Back to jujitsu. It dates back as far
0: as the early years of the common era. To be honest with you, I saw so many dates that I just didn't want to get into that fight. But, you know, when they were turning the clock into the common era, they were wrestling. (laughs) How about that, Paul? We're just going to call it wrestling. Us. Us. Now we're in your wheelhouse, aren't we? We are, Sensei. And as they do with a lot of it, they say that it started with the monks learning it for self-defense purposes.
4: Wow,
2: you guys have said that often. That's very true, Lisa. You're a good listener. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being a listener. Um, And this is also a great opportunity to say, go back and listen to our episode on how karate started. That was December 30th, 2019. And even History Part 2 from March 9th. 2020.
0: And of course, let us know what you think. Definitely. All right. We, Where are we picking it up, Paul?
1: Well, I think we're going to pick it up in India with the enlightened Buddhists trying to defend themselves and copying the actions of the animals. It spread through the east to both China and Japan.
4: And I'll move us up to the 1600s. The Japanese samurai adopted the term jiu for their grappling. And this phrase continued to be used as the umbrella term for many grappling styles.
0: Thanks, guys. That
4: makes this an opportune
0: time to mention that jiu-jitsu is known for its joint locks, throws, and pins. Us.
3: and I'd like to add, in case you're unfamiliar, pinning people to the ground is pretty easy to visualize. And you can Google joint locks if you haven't seen them before, but it's basically making an arm or a leg immovable. Kind of another way to pin someone, wouldn't you say?
2: Maybe we can put it on a graphic.
3: I think we've
0: already used it as a graphic once, so maybe we can look back. Because we had a whole joint lock discussion in another episode. Yes, we did. (laughs) I don't know which one. I'll
2: highlight it, put it on.
0: Well, we've already covered a lot, and we're not even close to done. Wow. So I'm going to pick it up at the Meiji Restoration. Do you guys remember that?
2: Us, and I think it was in
0: the 1800s in Japan. Exactly. Exactly. Well, political changes at the time caused
3: jujitsu training to go underground. I understand that, but during the same period, around 1882, Jigoro Kano enters the historical fray. Mm,
2: there's Jigoro Kano. Also, I love the term "historical fray."
0: So do I. <laughs> we could use that anywhere in time, couldn't we? Yes.
2: We talked about him a few episodes back. And did you guys know that, on top of being the founder of judo? He was also a member of the Japanese Ministry of Culture.
1: That's very cool, Landon. And he was responsible for merging some of the ancient jujitsu techniques and these techniques that would eventually come to be called what? Judo. 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 (laughs) Yeah, that that only makes my skin crawl at this point. In wrestling, (laughs) we had judo as part of the whole exercise, and throwing and hitting the mat was... uh, enlightening experience. You
0: know, we've talked about that a lot because Goju has a lot of throws and a lot of judo moves in it. And also you get to a point where you just don't want to fall down so much anymore. No, not anymore. One time a day is plenty. (laughs) Or is it too
4: much? I'm not sure. Us. And I read on the site that Jigoro Kano restricted the ground fighting for safety purposes, which I'm glad about that.
2: (laughs) Definitely. Smart man.
3: That's what the sites say. But the ground fighting was later resurrected in Brazilian jiu-jitsu.
0: Ooh, and now we see how they're coming together. All right. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves because now it's time to connect all the stories. And before we do that, we've got to mention Mitsuyu
2: Maeda. Us. I'll go ahead and start. He was a student of Jigoro Kano who had trained in other jiu-jitsu schools before beginning to work with Jigoro Kano.
0: Now, I hope the listeners aren't lost, (laughs) because this is where the history jumps to Brazil. And a lot of this information came from a a place called the Bleacher Report.
4: Okay, Lisa, start me out. Gladly. That part's interesting. No hold bars fighting started back in Brazil in sideshow fights at circuses in the early 20th century. Exactly. And I'll add that the fights pitted
3: boxers, capoeiro practitioners, and even something called Lula. Levere fighters, which means freestyle, against each other.
1: That's a good one, Sensei. And I've got one more thing. Those sideshow fights were called vale tudo. When two fighters against each other with minimal rules came together. The first documented example was back in 1928. It continued for many years because watching these fights became very popular. Don't we like to watch a good fight? I mean, a really good fight.
4: Yes.
0: I think people really do like to watch it. I mean, boxing's super popular. Yes. Okay, so we got all the parts. We got the ancient grappling. We've got the jiu-jitsu. A resurgence of no-holds-barred fighting in the 20th
3: century. And don't forget, Mitsuyo Maeda's presence in Brazil. Different sources say different things. But the Gracie brothers' Page, says he came into Brazil around 1914 and even performed and fought under the
4: name Count Combat or Conde Coma. Uh, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu site says he won over 2,000 professional fights and is known as the toughest man who ever lived. Mm. Okay, Landon, bring it all together for me.
2: You got it, Sensei. Before 1920, Mr. Maedas met the son of of a circus owner named Gastão Gracie. Gastão had a son named Carlos, and Carlos trained with Maitis for five years before moving.
0: And there you have it. The ground is broken for the Gracie brothers' Brazilian jiu-jitsu.
2: But wait, there's more. While living in Rio de Janeiro, Carlos taught his brothers.
0: Right. And I'd like to ask the listeners to remember the earlier reference to using leverage, locking a joint, which causes massive pain. And it does cause massive pain, by the way. We're all familiar with that. Yes. And I'm adding in the idea of using an opponent's strength against him.
1: Yes. Yes. it.
0: Well, before that time when the Gracie brothers were starting out, this was not common knowledge. Carlos and his brothers realized this, and they capitalized on it. And in 1925, the first Gracie jiu-jitsu school began, and that started an era of Gracie brothers winning bouts for money and the school doing better and better.
2: Wow, I like that history, but please, can we get back to modern times?
0: Okay, sure, I'll do it. And I'm going to start by saying, when you Google the history of the MMA, 1993 marks the official beginning of the MMA because that is when the first MMA bout was fought under the name UFC 1 in Denver, Colorado.
3: That's true, Sensei. And that's according to MMAhistory.org. Hey,
1: wait. Did you guys remember that it was a pay per view fight?
3: You think uh, that was one of the first pay per views, uh, Paul?
1: You know what, Sensei? I think it was. Huh. Maybe more unique. It was no holds bar, no weight classes, and the objective was just pinning one style against the other. The ultimate kumite, right?
4: <laughs> right. I have some trivia about that fight. What What is is it? There were only three rules. No biting, no eye gouges, and no groin strikes.
2: We're back to the biting.
4: (laughs) Lena doesn't like it when they have to make a rule that says no biting.
2: Or eye gouges.
0: And I wrote right here on my script, and I bet I said it the last time he said that. Those are my go-to self-defense moves right there. (laughs) They are. Now they took out my go-to self-defense
2: moves. I mean, if I had to, I would
3: do that, but... You guys remember that those were the same three rules of pancreation? I do remember that. It's just fascinating that those are the three rules that went through, you know, from ancient times to now. Anyway, back to
0: 1993. I did watch a recap of that octagonal bout on YouTube. Did you guys check it out? it. It was so interesting from the fact that it really didn't take long for one fighter to outmaneuver another fighter because the other fighter wasn't prepared for his specialty. Oh, right? Yes. And will you agree, Paul? It was pretty bloody.
1: Oh, it was brutal. Brutal. Fighting at the same time, right?
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. So ultimate fighting
3: was established. But from the very beginning, it was so disorganized. One example is that the rules that were beginning to become established changed from fight to fight, venue to venue, and state to state.
1: Oh Sunset. I've got actually an example. Okay. What you got? In UFC nine, they ban close fist strikes to the head. What's up with that? I mean, come on. What's
0: up with that? What are they look, are they slapping each other? I was just thinking about that, like
2: (laughs) were they allowed to do palm heel strikes to the nose? Or could they do on the back like in a roundhouse kick how it's the flat part of your foot? But could it be the flat part of of your hand? hand, Just like kind of like a back fist?
4: Okay, Lisa, keep it going, because I think it gets even stranger, doesn't it? Ah, Yes, it does. In 1996, Senator John McCain called the fights human cockfighting and was almost successful in getting them banned in all 50 states.
2: Really? That was a move by the senator,
3: huh?
4: Uh Uh-huh. And I saw that. And
3: in response to that backlash, the UFC made some rules. It's round robin time for us. Oh, I love round robin time. You know I do. That's yeah, your style, sensei. Okay, so who's
4: up first? Oh, Landon, it looks like you. Us. They started having to have judges. Okay, what else did they have, Paul? And time limits. That's interesting. And then they added weight classes. And then that 10-point scoring system. Do you remember that from
3: our uh, Full Contact episode where the winner of the round got 10 points and the non-winner, the loser of that round, got less? It's cute that Jackie and I don't like to say
0: loser. And as I say that, I'm putting the L on my head with, I hope, the correct hand. Okay,
1: what else do you guys
0: have? What else was added, Paul?
1: I'll add there was no elbows to the back of the head or the neck. What's up with that? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm hearing of more violence The better
4: thing from you I, I see a, a, a trend coming out of you, Paul I like it This is getting scary And no kicking a down fighter in the face That's a lot
3: of changes But still, even with the changes The company who produced the UFC Which was called SEG Was going bankrupt So in 2000 A company called Station Casino Struck a deal with SEG And they bought the UFC for $2 million. Wow.
2: Now the UFC is worth $4 billion.
0: Wow. Oh, wow. But at least we've reached the new millennium. All right. And we're in your home state, Paul. We're in New Jersey.
1: Absolutely.
0: Where the State Athletic Control Board adopted a set of unified rules for the mixed martial arts. They were recognized by the Association of Boxing Commissions and cover everything from scoring to round length to close and to fouls. I think we're going to tackle the fouls, aren't we? Yes. And that means more round robin
2: Us. I'll start off. <laughs> the foul started with three, but ballooned to 30. And one is no stomping a down fighter. <laughs> Duh. Come
1: on now.
0: I know, I know Paul. again. I'm sorry, Paul. I don't <laughs> want to offend you,
2: but
3: the ow. Well, and no vertical elbowing to the face. They call it a 12-6. So think about it like um, an old analog clock where you're up and down.
4: What do you got, Lisa? And no hair pulling. I'm sure the female fighters are happy about that. <laughs> and I'm saying there are a lot of bald MMA guys out there.
1: Hey, For that's sure. okay, Sensei. It's all-
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to worry about the hair pulling anyway. I'm loving the bald thing. What else, Paul?
1: And there's no strikes to the throat of any kind. I don't understand that.
0: <laughs>
4: Another of my quite, go-to
0: self-defense moves, I'm never fighting you, You're Paul. Say that. <laughs> but I believe, Paul and Lisa, that it is time for us to hear Sensei Sam.
1: Oh, Sensei. So, so. so
0: here he is. Hey, Sensei Sam, thanks so much for being on the show.
5: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, please. I'm a little bit excited here. <laughs> All right. So obviously, I'm super interested in how your karate and your MMA mesh together. So let's start with how long you've been going?
5: Um, Since I've been home from China. So I think around eight months, I came pretty much immediately after China. But um, since the coronavirus happened, there's a break in between.
0: Hey, are most of the people who are in the program men between the ages of 18 and 40?
5: That sounds pretty accurate.
0: You have a lot of women?
5: There's a few.
0: Do the men and the women train together or do you guys train separate?
5: We train together.
0: So like in karate?
5: Yeah. Nice.
0: Okay. So do you remember what made you look into an MMA school?
5: Yes. So when I was in China, I sparred with one of the other practitioners that was there. And he trained in Sanda, which is uh, Chinese kickboxing. And what happened was that he would attack my legs, that these were leg kicks. And the toll that it took on me was like, so huge that like, I could barely keep going. And um, that made me realize that I I just had to expand my horizons with uh, martial arts. And I couldn't just stick to one, I'd have to experience everything so I can become the best that I could be.
0: That's fantastic to hear. I understand completely what you're saying. Was it helpful to have the karate background when you joined the MMA school?
5: Immensely helpful. Absolutely. You, you pick up on things usually a lot quicker because you've been doing it for so long.
0: And would you say the grappling techniques that they use are akin to wrestling techniques that you might see at college wrestling?
5: Um, I think that if you have a wrestling background, you're going to pick up on jujitsu a lot easier than if you don't. But they're definitely different. Like they're, the goals of wrestling and jujitsu are different. In uh, wrestling, you're trying to pin somebody down and control their movement, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But in Brazilian jujitsu or jujitsu, you're trying to like submit that person. So you try to get the most advantageous position, either choke them out or put them into a joint lock or any any one of those things.
0: So rather than a full body pin, you're locking just a joint, a shoulder, a leg,
5: and, just or a make- choke. Yes, just to make sure that they tap, like which is giving up, basically.
0: Right. So, See, I didn't know that difference. That's really good. Cool. Okay, what do you think is the biggest difference between training in a karate dojo and training in an MMA dojo? And by the way, is, do I call it a dojo?
5: You can call it a dojo or a gym. I think they're mostly called gyms, but I would say the karate dojo is more formal. We come in, we bow to our, our master. It's always... No sensei, yes sensei. But in the MMA gym, we do bow uh, when we first start class just to kind of show our respects. But then it's just more casual. It's not like everybody's in a line. Everybody's doing the exact same thing. It's like kind of more of like a scattered type of deal, if that makes sense.
0: No, I totally understand. So it works literally more like a gym and less like a formal situation where you have training based on some sort of a philosophy.
5: There's definitely philosophy, but... um, the philosophy will be different based on whichever gym that you're in. Whereas karate, I think there's specific philosophies that are kind of intrinsic, I guess, in most dojos, if exactly. that makes sense.
0: Oh. All right. We-, we have two more questions for you. Was there an easiest or a hardest part when you first got to the gym?
5: I think physical, the physical aspect of it, because um, it just doesn't go away. You will you'll always be sore. You will always have cuts. And you will always have bruises and there's like basically nothing that you can do about it.
0: Interesting. Loving that. So what advice would you give somebody looking for a gym?
5: I would say don't um, make a decision before actually trying different places. You you might be the type of person that loves uh, super intense do this or or you're nothing type of gyms that motivates you, but that's not my style, you know? I like uplifting, positive reinforcement type stuff, which is more of like the the gym in uh, Davie, that well, kind of thing. Let's give a quick
0: shout out to the man or woman who runs it because I like his or her style. I want to say his name. Would oh, you think you're allowed?
5: Yeah, uh, Baga at American Top Team in Davie. He also has one in Weston.
0: Nice.
5: So I would... I would just go in to different gyms with an open mind and don't make a decision until you've tried all your options.
0: Cool. Now comes the part where I finish it and I say, thanks so much for your time. This has been fantastic.
5: Thank you so much for having me. It was great. I love talking to you.
0: And when you get home from Thailand, boom, we're on again for the whole 20 minutes that time though, okay? Sounds good to me. Bye now.
5: Bye. Thank you.
0: Okay, that was fun, right? Great. That was such a good interview.
5: He's so great.
0: Just like that, guys, it's the end of the day. Wow. Wow! I know. So, of course, we have to do Honor Athletics, of course. Thank you, Cynthia, for always supporting us. And I'm going to try for the phone number. You can reach Cynthia at 770-945-5150. Whoa. Bam, she hits it. What else?
2: You can find them online at honorathletics.com.
3: And, of course. Don't forget when you're checking out to, say, Wildcat Dojo for your 10% discount. And with that, Paul and Lisa, thanks for being on the show.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having us. Bye, everybody. We'll see you next week.
0: See you next time.
2: This is Sensei
0: Michelle signing off.
1: Thanks for being here. Hope you join us again next week on Wildcat Dojo Conversations.